Greetings, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Helping Hands of Our Community, Addressing the Social Determinants of Health podcast. I am your host, Roger Saclupe, and I will be running the ship solo today. Unfortunately, our co-host, Drew Reynolds, is not able to be with us today. His daughter, Lucy, is not feeling well, and we wish Lucy a speedy recovery. We are highlighting the incredible work of individuals who are helping create healthy and thriving communities, and today I'm really excited about our guest. Our guest today is Paul Cuadros, whose gift of writing, reporting, and storytelling has made an impact on my life and the lives of students in the social work practice with Latinx Communities course I currently teach. Paul also possesses the gift of relationship development and connection through his work and commitment as a soccer coach to a group of immigrant high school students in Siler City, North Carolina, during the early 2000s. In his book, A Home on the Field, Paul Cuadros shares his experiences, but more importantly, he highlights the realities Latino immigrant communities faced in rural North Carolina during the late 90s and early 2000s. So let me tell you a little bit about Paul. Paul Cuadros is an award-winning investigative reporter and author whose work has appeared in the New York Times, the Huffington Post, Time Magazine, Salon.com, The Chicago Reporter, and other national and local publications. He joined the School of Journalism at UNC Chapel Hill in 2007. For the past 20 years, Paul Cuadros has focused his reporting on issues of race and poverty in America. In 1999, he won a fellowship with the Alicia Patterson Foundation, sponsored by New York Newsday and considered one of the most prestigious fellowships in journalism to report on emerging Latino communities in rural poultry processing towns in the South. The culmination of his reporting was his book, A Home on the Field, How One Championship Team Inspires Hope for the Revival of Small-Town America, which tells the story of Siler City, North Carolina, as it copes and struggles with Latino immigration through the lives of a predominantly Latino high school soccer team. A Home on the Field was the summer reading selection at UNC in 2009. Paul is the only faculty member at UNC to have his book selected as summer reading. The book has been chosen for summer reading programs at other universities in North Carolina and beyond. His book is the cornerstone of the social work practice with Latinx Communities course that I teach. Paul Cuadro serves as the chair and executive director of the UNC Scholars Latino Initiative, a three-year mentoring and college preparatory program between UNC students and Latino high school students at six area high schools. The program has more than 150 students and is housed at the Center for Global Initiatives. Paul is also the co-founder of the Carolina Latina Latino Collaborative, which is the Latino Educational and Cultural Center at UNC. He is also the co-founder of the Latino Latina Caucus, a university coalition of faculty and staff on campus that advocates for Latino interests at the university. He is currently working on his second book on migration. Paul, welcome to our podcast. It's great to have you on our show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So, Paul, for our listeners who are not familiar with you, can you tell us about your work, particularly in investigative journalism and reporting on Latino-related issues? My career in investigative reporting begins in Chicago. Uh, reporting on uh, diverse communities and reporting on issues involving social justice in different areas from access to health care, immigration, issues of violence in the city, uh, housing discrimination. 
And um, from that experience and from reporting on different communities in Chicago, I've also reported on demographic change and change that has moved from the central city of Chicago to the suburbs. And then from there, moving on to Washington, D.C. and covering politics on the Hill. Then, of course, covering demographic change in the American South. A lot of your work has also involved reporting on Latino-related issues, like I mentioned earlier. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about why addressing these issues are important for us as a community to know about? Well, I think it's vitally important to know what's happening in your community and uh, what may be affecting your community. And for me, what I'm interested in is, is seeing how the community interacts with the surrounding community, the long-established community, especially in a place like South, in which uh, Latinos are generally newcomers and find themselves in situations where they are trying to adapt to a new situation and for longtime residents to also adapt to their presence. So that's what sort of fascinates me about reporting and covering the Latinx community here. For the community itself, it's it's important for uh, the community to be informed about what's happening and things that may affect them uh, for the future. In your book, A Home on the Field, a lot of the context revolves around the lives of uh, young Latino students, but also their families, and also a community, Siler City, that had never experienced that type of migration before. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about how um, all that intersected while you were at Siler City, and sort of what was the experience like, but then how has that transformed from the early 2000s to now? When I first arrived in in Chatham County in Siler City in 1999, the migration of Latino people from the border to the interior of the United States to to the American South was just in its midst. And you could see all different kinds of changes that were happening in town from the community, from the increasing number of students in local schools to the increasing number of people and patients at the local hospital and clinics and doctor's offices to uh, the response by the local sheriff's office and the local police department. All these institutions were being impacted by the presence of newcomers, and newcomers were in the throes of trying to adapt and to try and find a new home in that community. And so those were some of the issues that it really attracted me was, was how both the newcomers and the longtime residents were going to adapt and, and cope with each other as they lived together. And this is something that's completely new to the American South is an influx of immigrants. This is not the traditional history of the South. And so I was curious and and fascinated by how that would all sort of play out. At that time in 1999, many of the issues and the issues that are present in A Home in the Field are issues involving what I would call like first footprint and newcomer issues, establishing yourself, trying to find a home trying to integrate into society on a very basic level, and then the longtime residents coping with that change and how they were going to deal with it. Today, the community is, is very different. The issues today are, are, are vastly different from the ones when I first got there. For instance, I, I think when I got there, the Latino presence in Siler City was maybe about 30% of the population in town. Today, it's uh, more than 50%. It's the majority community in that town. And that's a significant change where I think we could call the people in 1999 immigrants today. I would not call them immigrants. I would call them settlers. Right. 
And so that's a very, very different label and perception that we have of Latinx people. I, th I think generally within the country today and the topics and the issues that we talk about nationally, we see the Latinx community as an immigrant community, but over a course of time that has changed and evolved. And so I don't refer to them as, as immigrants. I refer to them as settlers, people who have settled into that community and have not just begun to put down roots, but have established roots within that community and are a growing facet of that community. I appreciate you talking about that a little bit because you're right. Over time, as individuals who, as you mentioned in the book, late 90s, early 2000s, were viewed as immigrants. Now they've established a sense of community. Many have, have established homes, uh, families, and they've settled. There is a difference when the community as a whole can start viewing them as settlers instead of immigrants. And uh, I appreciate you mentioning that. So as a journalist, it sounds like you have been addressing the social determinants of health. Um, it sounds like this is sort of uh, has been your experience when you entered uh, Siler City and then you started uh, conducting your investigative reporting on the poultry factories and then looking at the schools to see why aren't high school students allowed the opportunity to play soccer, et cetera. Now that you have sort of tra helped transform the narrative that exists in a community such as Siler City, how do you continue to approach addressing the social factors that impact people's health and well-being in your work as a journalist, community advocate, and leader? I think that um, there's still some more work to be done with regard to health and to recreation for the community in, in Chatham County. I led an effort to create a soccer facility within the town. Um, that was something that was very new. This was in 2012. It was about a three-year effort to try and get that through the town council and approved, and then to find the funds to be able to create that, that field. Uh, and we were successful by, by 2014 in establishing it. And that field, I was able to raise uh, $65,000 to renovate a field that was no longer being used by the Parks Department that had uh, become dilapidated and sort of abandoned, but still controlled by the, um, the town Parks and Recs Department. And informally, uh, Latino people were using it as a, as a soccer facility anyway. But our, our idea was to transform that field, to grade it, level it, to provide irrigation on it, and then to grow a uh, nice Bermuda grass, so it would be a, a, an excellent facility. And the facility would also be a standardized uh, soccer field, so it would be regulation size. And um, that doesn't necessarily exist in Chatham County. It's the only regulation size field within Chatham County. And that effort was like a huge effort to try and get <laughs> through town politics and to get through the cultural sort of politics as well. The money certainly helped. That was all donated by a foundation. And then the project itself, the, the construction of the project, I sort of coordinated and led along with the Parks and Rec uh, Department and Director. That effort over time was successful, but there were lots of rumors in town that we were not going to be successful for a couple of reasons. One, the, the town had sort of stepped into a, a malaise of not doing things. And this is a sort of slow decline of a small town in which its manufacturing base was, was slowly disappearing. And so there was this attitude in town that you couldn't really get anything done in Siler City. So we were up against that kind of narrative. And then the other one was that we were hearing rumors in town 
that we were taking uh, an American baseball field and turning it into a Mexican soccer field. And so we had those sort of cultural clashes as well, both of which we overcame and were successful. And I think the last thing that people were doubting was how are we going to sod the field? And one of the ideas that, that I had was that we could actually get pallets of sod, Bermuda grass, and then we would invite the community to come and lay that sod by hand. And we were successful in doing that. We got maybe about 100 volunteers, and we laid down each of these pieces of sod for that field, for a field that measured 65 yards by 120 yards. And so that was a huge effort to do, but the community helped to do that. And that park today is the standard bearer for soccer in Siler City. The high school uses that as its practice field. The charter school uses it as its game field. And La Liga, the, the uh, Latino Soccer League, uses it as its game field as well. Wow, incredible. I feel like there's such a sense of community that you were able to bring to Cyber City, particularly for the Latino community. You know, soccer is, is a big portion of our community. We're either playing soccer or watching soccer or talking soccer. And the fact that a field was absent in the community kind of creates a hole. And so what I hear happened is that that hole wasn't necessarily filled, something new was made. You're not trying to patch up an, an old hole, you're creating something totally new. And as we know, again, soccer is, is about community. So it sounds like there was a, uh, you were able to create a, um, a deeper sense of community and it's also um, family cohesion. So a lot of families gather together around soccer. And then there's also this health and mental wellness component to it as well as, as um, I like to think of our bodies as being interconnected. So um, health and mental wellness are connected together. If I'm doing physical activity or doing something that's actively helping me physically, then it's also improving my mental wellness and vice versa. Absolutely. You know, we have uh, little kids playing on that field. We have, of course, grown-ups playing on that field. There's a, a growing and budding league of women that play on that field. And then we have these um, ligas de papi, which are the older folks who play. Seasoned. <laughs> seasoned seasoned the, folks. The, the veterans like, <laughs> uh, like me now. And, you know, as long as you're running and moving and kicking a ball, you know, that's how we play, but that's how we get exercise and that's how we keep moving. So. Right. And that's how we connect. We perhaps catch up with people during that time on the field. Um, so uh, it's a sense of community. Yes, absolutely. There's a social factor to it. Uh, people get together, families get together. And, you know, that sense of community is really important for, for mental health. So, Paul, many of our listeners are probably interested in how you have made this work a part of your career and mission. What advice do you have for helping professionals interested in your area of expertise? And how can we bridge journalism with social work, counseling, supportive services, and the helping professional as a whole? So, you know, for journalists, and this was this weighed on my mind, you know, the journalist is someone who's on the outside. I mean, we want to be on the outside. We want to be reporting, observing, and then writing and presenting stories on what's happening on the inside. And um, it's not necessarily our job to get involved. For me, this particular space of soccer was different. For me, that was recreation. And so that's kind of how I got involved in that. It was not necessarily a part of the, the general reporting that I was doing or, or what I had been doing previously. So it started off as kind of like a recreational thing and, and something for me to get involved in and occupy my time as a volunteer. Um, I'm a big believer that uh, you should contribute to your community. 
So that was sort of like my space to kind of do that away from my profession. And uh, that's worked out well for me ethically and uh, professionally. In terms of like social work and being involved in the community, I think that aside from the particular responsibilities and job that you have to work with the community, there are other avenues. There are always other avenues that you can contribute beyond uh, your professional capabilities. So the other things that I've since gone on, I've, I've sort of realized and transitioned somewhat from being a, a journalist to being a teacher now. And the coaching for me has really been uh, helpful in opening my eyes to having talents in that area as well. And so that's, that's kind of segued into this other sort of profession for me. And it's been enjoyable and it's been fulfilling. So um, I do it. <laughs> And it really appears that you're very passionate about it. You're passionate about journalism and you're passionate about teaching and you're passionate about coaching. For our listeners, today, Paul was a guest speaker for the social work practice with Latinx Communities course that I teach. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, we do utilize his book as our course book. And so students in our class got the opportunity not only to meet Paul in person, but ask him questions about the book. And a lot of what Paul talked about was sort of how that that experience was transformative for him as well, coming into this environment as a journalist, but then ending up becoming such a huge community leader and advocate in Siler City and Chatham County and the whole area. And so if you could just talk a little bit about that coaching experience, how that helped transform you into sort of who you are now. You said you're in the School of Journalism at UNC Chapel Hill. Right. Well, first, let me just say the class was wonderful. It was great. I was happy to come down. And the students were excellent. Coaching, uh, you know, I kind of found love for coaching. So, I mean, this is sort of, you do something new in your life and then you, you find that it starts to take over your life. I ended up going all in on this. I figured, you know, when we started the program, we had so much resistance to it and I caused so much trouble in the local school that I felt responsible that I should step up and do something with it. So, so that's kind of how I started coaching the team. But uh, it was also a lot of fun It remains a lot of fun. I've been coaching now 17 years, and um, it's always been a challenge in many respects, but it's also been a lot of fun for me because I play with the guys. Uh, I play less with them now, so now I just sort of coach them and guide them. The games are always interesting, and, you know, we're always trying to be competitive, and there are always lessons to be learned both on the field and off the field, and, and that's been rewarding. My wife likes to say that my life's work is the coaching part of it. And, um, you know, for me, it's been transformative to be able to give back to the community and to guide young men on a pathway to success. And um, from there, you know, I've sort of found a love for teaching as well. And that's a, a different form of mentoring and guiding within the community. And then at UNC Chapel Hill, the chance to build institutions for the Latino community. Um, has also been um, something that I found and, and has enriched me and uh, that I've been able to contribute to. So, so it's like, you know, it's all been great. <laughs> you know, one thing that I'm, I'm just so fascinated by is the fact that, you know, you came down here in 1999. You won a fellowship. It's a year fellowship. And so at that point, it was, I'm going to come, you selected Solar City, North Carolina, to be part of that investigative journalism um, process. And so, but here you are, it's 2019, and you're, you're still here. And that's just, that's incredible and amazing. It's just a testament to who you are as an individual who cares. 
my guess is that you could have easily left after that one year fellowship and moved, you know, moved back up to um, DC or selected other areas that you had mentioned you lived in Chicago, Los Angeles, but you stayed, you stayed here. You, it sounds like the community invested in you and then you in turn invested in the community. And here we are almost 19, 20 years later. Yeah, I think that's, that's true. Um, sort of a weird story. Uh, for me, um, I talk about uh, with my students sometimes that stories are like a river and um, you uh, go into the river and it takes you somewhere. And I think the, um, the wise storytellers are the ones that don't fight the current and allow the current to take them somewhere. And that's kind of what I've done. I still think that the story is here. I still think the story of migration and immigration and settling and building community is still the biggest story in, uh, in the country today. Back in 1999, writing about immigration, migration uh, was not the popular topic. And I struggled uh, to convince people that this was an important issue, an important story for the country. And I think 20 years later, we know exactly that it is perhaps the most important story. And I don't mean immigration specifically, but rather demographic change and how our country is changing. And um, that issue is still uh, pertinent. It's still rel relative. And I feel like I'm still involved in that story. So certainly you can tell that story in other parts of the country, but I can, I can also tell it in Chatham County and Siler City as well. I'm so glad that you not only chose Siler City and came to North Carolina, but that you um, had that experience that was transformative, like you mentioned earlier, but that the individuals who you became part of their community and embraced you um, were part of your life, and, and you became an intricate part of their life as well. So I'm godfather of the three kids <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> from the team wow. who've gone on and had kids. They wanted me to be their godfather for their children. So I'm integrated in that community in, in all different kinds of ways. So we know that you um, play soccer as something that is not related to your work. And um, you've mentioned that you play in a league now, sort of a way of, of continuing that love and that passion for not only coaching, but playing. Um, what are some other things that you are doing that's not related to, um, to, to your work? I know you had mentioned about a, a recent spring break trip you took. Oh, yeah. So um, <clears throat> this past spring break, um, we have this wonderful class in, <clears throat> in our visual, visual communications uh, section in which we take a group of videographers and reporters and web designers and developers, and we pick a place kind of close by to report and to write about various issues. We've reported and done stories from Havana, uh, from Cuba, and from Puerto Rico um, post-hurricane. And this year, we decided to write and report about migration and people from Venezuela migrating to Colombia or Peru or other countries and trying to find a new home, fleeing the collapse of the economy in Venezuela and, and, and some of the violence that now exists there. And uh, so this year, we went to Medellin, Colombia, and reported on stories of Venezuelans who are trying to create a new home in, in, in Medellin and struggling. And uh, this has been our toughest project. Uh, I don't think there, there's no doubt about it. It's called Uprooted, and we hope to have everything done. We're going to work really hard and have everything done by the end of April for our premiere, and you'll be able to find it online at uprooted.unc. It's going to be, I think, a story that hasn't been told yet. So there's been a lot of reporting on the political issues and questions in Caracas 
with the Maduro administration. This is about people that have fled that, and this is about people that are struggling in a new place and trying to survive. And that story of, of migrants and migration hasn't necessarily been told about Venezuela and Venezuelans. But it also ties into our own struggles with migration on our own border. This is something that, that we wanted to get into because there are different places around the world that are dealing with migrants and migration. And uh, so this was our foray in, into kind of uh, taking a stab at that. And uh, I think it's going to be a fabulous project. We all worked really hard and we're all kind of exhausted, but, you know, we're, we're powering through. And I do appreciate that you're here with us today again. Thank you for coming to the class, but more importantly, um, saying yes to doing the podcast because he, um, for our listeners, Paul just recently got back from Colombia, from Medellin, and um, could have said no, could have said, I'm going to rest, but he, he's here, and I'm just so, uh, I'm so grateful for that. You know, I know that I had mentioned the book a couple of times throughout the podcast, and I don't want it to be a spoiler for anybody out there who, who wants to read it. Um, could you just briefly talk about sort of an overview of the book so, so our listeners can have an idea of, of what the book is about and then hopefully be enticed to go out and get it and read it? You know, it has a number of different themes. Um, I think uh, broken down, the book is essentially about uh, a team and a town, uh, both trying to find their place. And for the team of boys who are mostly from Mexico or Central America, newcomers, all of whom have crossed the border and have faced hardship and seen really tough things, coming into a new space and trying to find a home in that space. And then for the community itself, trying to figure out how to cope with an influx of new people, people who are different, people who have a different culture and a different language, who, who even play differently, telling that story as, as a part of the overall story. And then kind of like wrapping everything all together is, uh, is a wonderful story on um, coming together and struggling and then achieving great success. So it's, it's doing a lot of things, uh, that little book. And for one, people ask me, you know, who's the audience for this book? And uh, while I was writing it, for me, the audience has always been the kids of the boys on this team so that one day they can pick up the book and they can read about their fathers and know exactly what they went through at this time. So for our listeners, the book is called A Home on the Field, How One Championship Soccer Team Inspires Hope for the Revival of Small Town America. And that's by Paul Cuadros. Paul, for people who would like to get in touch with you, what is the best way that they can do that? They can always reach me through uh, UNC Chapel Hill, through the School of Media and Journalism. And um, if you go to our webpage, you'll be able to find me and my contact information there. Excellent. As we head towards the end of our episode, is there anything you would like to tell our listeners about the importance of journalism, community advocacy, and community-engaged work? Well, I think um, many of us have uh, become aware of how important journalism really is uh, to our democracy. Um, I think that it's a bit of a contentious issue the way people talk about journalism today, but I think one thing that we all can agree upon is that more information is better than less. And uh, an informed public, an informed citizenry is stronger and healthier and able to cope with issues and problems far better than one that isn't receiving information. 
there's so much information out there now. People always tell me, you're teaching journalism. Isn't that a dying or dead uh, industry? And I say, are you kidding? It's like all around us. Um, it's just in different facets now and broken up. And um, we have less sort of consensus the way we did a long time ago in terms of what we consume. But there's tons of information out there that we can get and inform ourselves by. And there are, of course, uh, the sort of stalwarts of um, uh, the legacy uh, news organizations that exist that do incredible reporting, both here in the country and around the world. And I encourage people to, you know, hang on and, and to read and consume those. And then, you know, within our own lives, um, I'm a big believer in contributing to your community and that you're a part of that and you should find a way to do that. And whatever facet that that, that is, for me, it's been soccer. For other people, it's, you know, centered around their faith, their faith and their faith-based organizations. And for others, it's in, in providing health and, and wellness to the community. So, you know, whatever it is that you, you want to do, you should do. Those are awesome words of wisdom there. Paul, thank you for your time. Thank you for your commitment to creating a bridge of information about our Latino communities and helping to establish healthy and thriving lives through your work, advocacy, and leadership. And one thing for our listeners, uh, while we were in class earlier this morning, the students in our class and I decided that we were going to knight Paul, an official social worker. So he is now Sir Paul Cuadros of the <laughs> League of Social Work. Uh, so thank you so much, Paul. It's an honor. <laughs> For our listeners to access this episode, along with notes and information about Paul Cuadros' work, navigate to thehelpinghandspodcast.com. And thanks, listeners, for your curiosity and willingness to learn something new. Until next time, remember, strong always, always strong.